my father really led me to the cross. That was something he did very well. He was a great teacher and preacher and a great dad, and I miss him. He's been gone 18 months. Being honest, he wasn't good at everything. He was one of the worst barbers in the world. He was fast. You know, he could cut your hair in 30 minutes. But all the kids at school <laughs> were commenting on your haircut when you got to school. He, he, uh, he sheared us all pretty regularly. It was a mercy when he took us, took us to the barber shop in Juarez, Mexico to get our haircuts. It was a sacrifice to him, I know. It cost 50 cents apiece. He had six boys, so that's three bucks. But I loved that barber shop and always considered it part of the grace of God to go. <laughs> and if Dad was feeling flush, he'd not only get us a haircut, he'd buy us a 16-ounce Coke for a nickel and a burrito for a dime. And so we had lunch, we got a haircut, it's all good. <laughs> I hope Dad's not listening today. He might be a little surprised I didn't like his haircuts. Probably not. I squirmed a lot in the chair. <laughs> Kids don't really like haircuts. There's lots of things that happen to us that maybe we don't like. And that is true of the Apostle Paul. This letter which he writes, this joyful letter, which we are styling picture joy, is written in some of the toughest times a man had. But I want to show you today what he did with tough times. All right? So we're in Philippians chapter 1. Go on over there to verse 12. Thank you, by the way, to Alan Jackson, Dr. Jackson. Thank you for preaching for me. Last Sunday, he did a great job, I know, expounding on the text. Yeah. And we're grateful for him. Verse 12 of chapter 1 says, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Picture joy. Have you sent in your pictures yet? Find those joyful pictures. I know you've got some. Send them in. We're using them in the devotional guide that's in your bulletin today. You'll see several pictures. People laughing, having a good time. We want to use your pictures, so send them in. Rejoice, and I will rejoice. That is the decision of the Apostle Paul. Now, my father was not a man who attended to detail in everything. He attended to detail in teaching us the Word of God. We had to learn many verses perfectly by rote in the King James Version. We had to quote them to Dad and to Mom. They would listen till we had every word right, the these, the thous, and the therefores. And in that way, we learned hundreds of verses by heart when we were little boys. So Dad was a stickler for detail when it came to teaching the gospel and teaching the word. But as long as he had a roof over his house and over his head, he didn't really care about the trim work. Right after I moved out of the house, he had a dispute with the electric company. And things got serious enough where he told him to just come get the meter. That horrified my brothers and sisters who were living at home at the time. But they did. They came get the meter. And Dad set up a 12-volt system in the house. And he charged the battery while he was driving. And when he got home, he'd connect the house to the battery. You could turn on these little dim lights in the bathroom and places like that. And he got him a 12-volt TV, black and white, about a 7-inch screen if you wanted to watch TV. If you needed to run a vacuum cleaner or something like that, he'd go outside and crank up the generator. And you could use it for as long as the gas held out until you were done. Then he'd turn it off. They lived that way for years. He just told them to keep the meter. So dad was off the meter. A lot of people thought he was off the reservation. <laughs> what a unique individual. Inspiring and wonderful. Everything that happened, dad worked it somehow into the gospel message. He was always doing that. Paul does hear what my father did every day, communicated his faith. And that's the first thing I see in this passage. Dad, communicate your faith. He starts out by saying, now, I want you to know there's something I want you to know. Something I want to tell you. Is there anything you want your wife and kids to know? Paul is saying, 
these things in this letter to these Philippians because he loves them. And he does not want them to be dismayed and discouraged and get weak in their faith because bad things are happening to him. After all, he's the hero. He's the missionary. He started the church. He runs around and preaches the gospel everywhere. And now he's in jail? I mean, what's up with that? Where's God now? And he is aware that people who were saved in the churches and maybe not far along in their faith could look in that and begin to wonder about God's care for the apostle. Because he loves them, he says to them, I want you to know something. He also is telling them this because he knows they love him. They've demonstrated that in lots of ways. These Philippians took up an offering to help the apostle. They really care about him, and he knows it. They love him, so he wants to tell them what is on his heart. He writes to them as brothers and sisters, because we're family here, amen? We're family. We care about each other. We love one another. We're in this together. We all have the same dad, the heavenly father. Our Lord Jesus taught us to call the Almighty One Father. And we do. And we're in this together. And he uses a single word, Adelphos, that is translated in the NIV, brothers and sisters. I asked my Greek expert brother about this this week. I said, you know, they're translating that brothers and sisters. And he said, and they ought to. The word Adelphos frequently includes men and women. And Paul's already addressed his letter to all the saints, all the people of God in Philippi. So that's right. So he's saying, brothers and sisters, everybody in the church, I want you to know something because we're family and we care about one another. I think back through the last few years and men, I'm particularly talking to you, okay? We don't know what's going to happen to us. We don't know tomorrow. We don't know what health issues or difficulties will come our way. The Apostle Paul is uncertain about his future. He may be executed. He may be gone. Maybe not. He doesn't know. But he has these things on his heart to, people that, to tell the people that he loves and the people who love him. And he puts it in this letter, enshrines it in this letter. It's a letter of love. Maybe you don't like to write letters. How about a video? How about a recording where you tell the ones you love the things you want them to know about you, about your faith, about how you see the world. Paul says here, everything that's happened to me has happened to advance the gospel. So here's what Paul does, okay? He's got all these things that have happened to him. Some of them are bad. 
He's got thrown in jail. He's been beat up. They threw him out of one town, thought he was dead. <laughs> been beaten five times, went through the shipwreck, lied about, chased out of town, invited to leave. He's got a long litany of things. There are a couple places where he lists them. Connect your story to the good news. Dad, that's what I want you to do. You got to be honest about your story. You can't pretend like you're not in jail or you didn't get beat up. Paul's not pretending. He's not trying to pull the wool over their eyes. He's honest about what's happened to him, and we need to be too. Our stories aren't always pretty. Everything doesn't always come up roses with us. People know that. To be honest about your story is part of the walk you have with the people that you love. I wonder sometimes if our children won't take us into their confidence when they are adults because we were too secret, secretive when we were their parents and they were young. Maybe we pretended all things were fine when they weren't, and the kids knew that they weren't. There's some kind of secrecy that happens generationally in families. And the Apostle Paul is trying not to have secrets with the Philippians. He's trying to just tell them what's happened to him and let them know. And he does that in all of his letters. He talks about the real things that are taking place. We need to be real with the people that we love. In fact, it's the only way to really connect our story to the gospel is to let the story be the story. This is how life happened. Sometimes life doesn't turn out like we want it to. Sometimes we have serious setbacks and disappointments. Sometimes we are surprised by the hardships that come our way. That's part of our story. It's an important part of our story. And the Apostle Paul connects those hardships to the gospel. You say, well, what is the gospel? The gospel is good news. And in this kind of world, good news is important. Amen? We need some good news out there. Many of you know that I came back to New Orleans to get into good news instead of bad news. Being a reporter for two years, that's what I spent my time doing, telling the bad news. It's delightful to be able to tell the good news, and that's what gospel means, good news. Connect your story to the good news. What is the good news? Well, that's real clear. The apostle wrote it in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. In fact, this is the first, really, summary of the gospel that the apostle Paul writes. He says, now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, and that he was raised 
on the third day. You say, what's the gospel? What's the good news? The good news is that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day, he was raised from the dead. That's the good news. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And the good news proclaims there's a solution for sin. Christ died for our sin, according to the Scriptures. There's liberation in that. There's wonder in that. There's deliverance. It's good news. He was buried, but it wasn't the end of the story. It's a day of tragedy and mourning that Saturday when the disciples think it's all over. It's a dark day in their hearts and in the world. And they wonder what the outcome will be. But on Sunday morning, the grave is empty and Jesus has risen from the dead. The good news is that there's no day so dark that God cannot redeem it. There's no hole so dark, deep that he cannot pull you out of it. There's no sin so great that he cannot cleanse it. That's the good news. There are no dead ends for you in the grace of God. No matter what you've done or where you've been, if you are willing to turn your heart and your face toward the God who made you and sent his son to die for your sin, if you're willing to turn your face and heart toward him, he'll receive you. Whoever comes to me, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. It's good news. And you can connect your story to this good news. You interpret your story in the light of the good news. You tell it. Even the bad things. With God's love interlaced in it and his watch care over you and never never faltering in the faith you have in the God who made you and sent his son to rescue you. That's what the apostle Paul does. He wants these believers in Philippi to know, look, these things that have happened to me, yes, they've been tough. It's been tough to be in chains. It's been tough to be in prison. But God has used them to advance the gospel, so I'm happy. I'm rejoicing in this. God can advance the gospel through the bad things that happen to you. He can. Now, Paul is in prison for the sake of the gospel. He got arrested because of the gospel, all right? And when you are insulted, rejected, overlooked, and treated unfairly because of the gospel, because you are a follower of Jesus, that is a very special moment for you to unveil the gospel in your life. There's nothing that clarifies the good news that you go through as a dad or a mother. Nothing so clarifies the good news for the people you've been talking to and loving on as you in trouble and how you respond. The worst possible situation has come into the life 
of somebody I love. But when I talk to them, they are saying, we pray that God will use this difficulty to communicate his good news to people that we love. Sometimes it's a shipwreck. Who sent the wind? Why did the ship hit these rocks? How can you use this, God, for the gospel? I'm not in this wreck necessarily because of the gospel. It's other things that have happened. Bad things have taken, taken place. How are you going to use this? And God, the sovereign Lord, is able to use even those things that seem happenstance, that are Bad things that come your way, though they're not necessarily connected to your witness of the gospel. It didn't happen to you because you were saved, but you are saved, you are a follower of Jesus, and now you're in troubled times. Everybody's watching you because the thing that has happened to you is common to human beings. Those fellows in Caesar's household, those soldiers, they'd seen prisoners before. They know how prisoners usually act. You put them in prison, you can pretty well tell what they're going to say, what they're going to do. And the apostle Paul surprises them with his grace, with his kindness, with his generosity and love toward them, with his sharing of the good news with them until Caesar's household... (laughs) the people who have locked them up. The gospel is traveling through the communication lines in Caesar's household because of this prisoner who doesn't act in the usual way when trouble has come. He's clarifying the gospel in the middle of his hardship. I don't even know if people can get the full import of the gospel from you until you're in trouble until you're hurting and in pain, until things have happened to you that are difficult. And when that happens, they watch you so carefully at work and in the family because they want to see if what you said in Sunday school, when everything was going fine, really applies to your life now. The things that have happened to me, Paul says, have served to advance the gospel. And you will be able to say that too. If in your trouble, you remain faithful, because people are watching you. Those kids, those grandkids, those neighbors you've been talking to, they're watching you. If in your trouble, you will be faithful. The words that you've spoken in other places and other times, the faith that you've shared, will be clarified by your Kindness, generosity, love, confidence. When the difficulty comes, it's such an opportunity. Paul says, look, I want you to know this. I'm not shaken. I'm not giving up. I don't feel like God has abandoned me. Trouble has come my way. Maybe I don't know why. I'd rather be outside than inside these bars. But I'm here. The chains are on me. And yet... God's using even these chains. Connect your story to the gospel. And focus on what matters. 
Can you see that here where Paul says, what does it matter? You know what just, he just recounted before that? It's these people who want to do him harm, who don't like him. And now that he's in prison in Rome, they're beginning to talk about him, say, you know, he got himself in that mess. He's in jail because of his own stupidity or error. And they're running the Apostle Paul down because he's in chains. They're selfish and they're jealous. And they're working to ruin his reputation. Sometimes the worst thing that happens when people start ragging on us is our reaction to it. Hey, you can't control what people say about you, but you can and do control how you respond. The Apostle Paul has envious people saying mean things and untrue things about him. They want to undermine him. Even with his friends, they are sowing these seeds. And the apostle says, what does it matter? I have a neighbor who is overwrought. It churns in him all the time. He's never free of it. This anger, this bitterness, this injustice he feels that life has dealt to him. You know people like that. You know you could become a person like that if you're not careful. You could come become the person who responds to injustice and jealousy and accusations by focusing on them to your own harm, by letting them twist your insides, by becoming resentful and bitter. And the truth is, what does it matter whether they're envious and jealous? In the end, what does it matter? Focus on what's important. The people who love you and the people you love. The good news of Christ that is presented to you. Living faithfully in the world for the God who created you, made you, and sent his son to rescue you. That's what's important. And you hold that light up when you don't allow these things to distract you, these people to distract you from the calling that God's placed on your life. Sometimes I look at folks who have seasoned in a way that made them bitter. And I say, Lord, as I age, make me sweeter instead of more sour. He does that for people. Some people age and they just get sweeter. And the Apostle Paul got sweeter and kinder and more loving as he aged. He was a fire-breathing convert from the road to Damascus when he threw Mark out of the boat. But later on he says, I want him. He's valuable to me for the ministry. 
Let the years go by and focus on what really matters, will you? Because if you do, if you focus on what really matters, God will use the circumstances of your life to explain the good news to the people you love. They will see you season in a way that blesses them. They will hear your words that are gracious in tough times. They will see your confidence in the midst of adversity. And they will say, that's what faith did for him. That's what the gospel does for people. That's what I want in my life. I get to the end of this passage. And I say, Lord, how much emotional energy do I burn on the things that really do not matter? How much anxiety do I live with day by day that I could just release and trust you? How many worries do I hold close to my heart when I should be letting them go? And trusting in your grace and sovereign purpose for me. Are you focused on the things that really in the end do not matter? If the Holy Spirit can get a hold of your heart and turn your eyes and your focus toward the things that really matter, then the Word of God will have had its impact on your heart today. Let's bow together. Lord, we don't want this word from your dear Apostle Paul. We don't want it to fall at our feet. We don't want it to fall on deaf ears. We want it to take root in our hearts, God. We want you by your Holy Spirit to use this word that he shares, this personal word, to use it in our lives, to build up our confidence and make us more faithful, and God, to reorient us, to change us from the inside out. Forgive us, Lord, when we attribute our bitterness and resentfulness to outside circumstances. God, help us to own these things that boil inside of us. And then, God, help us to give them to you. Lord, I pray that there, are, there will be in this church fellowship an outbreak of joy as we focus on what really matters and let the other stuff go. Thank you, God, that no matter how difficult the journey, you use the tough times to clarify the gospel, and we rejoice in this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every Sunday we have a time of response, your opportunity to say, you know, God spoke to me about this and I want to pray with somebody about it. So we're going to have prayer counselors here at the front for you to pray with. If there's some matter going on in your life that you need to pray about. Maybe you need to be baptized like these two were baptized earlier. You know that needs to happen in your life. This is your opportunity to come and say, I've trusted Jesus as Savior. 
but I want to be baptized. Maybe you've not trusted Christ as Savior yet. Maybe you've turned your head toward Him and your heart toward Him, and you want to take that step that says, I belong to Him. I'm putting my faith in Him. Well, then come to one of the counselors and say, I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior today. I'm taking that step. All right? We're going to sing together, pray together. You come as we sing. Let's stand together.